stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! The rain in Spain was anything but mundane as Lewis Hamilton outdueled Sebastian Vettel. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Good evening, everybody. I am Andre Harrison, your friendly neighbourhood host of the Motorsport 101 podcast, and welcome to episode 86. And uh, it's a beautiful, damp and dreary evening here in London as I record this, but uh, hopefully you're you're having a better day wherever you are. Anyway, let's get on with episode 86. With me, as per usual, is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hey, just chilling. Um... Update for anyone interested, I'm currently number two in the world in fantasy IndyCar. I would be number one, but thankfully, well, actually, unthankfully, uh, Joseph Newgarden let down the side. Like, it it took you 30 seconds (laughs) to mention your IndyCar fantasy team, King. Yes. Do you have have no shame? I I have no shame. I'm second in the world, Dre. (laughs) bastard <laughs> you had to get that in there straight away oh dear and making his welcome return to the podcast after two weeks slumming it up in texas going, you can probably guess who that is welcome back mr rj o'connell y'all don't own guns bigger than mine and our college football team is crap and so are our pro teams deep in the heart of texas y'all what's up i'm glad to be back you can tell he's taken in the local culture. The only thing missing at this point would be to say "roll tide" <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> but what, is, what is this "roll tide" that you speak of? Is, is that some sort of like uh, that, that's some sort of like weird death cult? Never heard of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say, RJ. Right. <laughs> Nice to have you back, though, despite um, you now suddenly gone 100% Texas. Made a good lord help us all. Uh, like, weren't you Southern enough already, RJ? Being oh, from man, Tennessee I mean, and whatnot? Texas is a different brand of Southern, honestly. It's just like how Florida is, like, vaguely Southern. Because, like, once you get south of, like, the Florida panhandle, um, it's really an entirely different place that resembles, you know, it, it doesn't resemble, like, Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi at all. Like, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida are really the most, th- the three most unique southern states in that they're nothing like any of the others, in some and parts. It, and as Top Gear would tell you, don't ever write, man love rules okay on the side of your pickup truck. Otherwise, apparently bad things will happen to you. <laughs> but, uh, right, just, just some, some general housekeeping before we get into it. Places where you can find us, we're on motorsport101.net if, if for the website, and all good stuff is available on there. But of course, you can find us on other places. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us on Twitter personally, we're at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at RJO Texas Connell. Um, <laughs> and, and if you really want to back it's not the Texas really isn't there, promise. Maybe. Um, by the time this episode goes out, and that, that might have changed. Who knows? But um, if also, if you really, really like us and you want to back us financially, you can you can do so on patreon.com 
forward slash motorsport 101, which includes little perks like early access to both this show and our brother show, Bike Live, which is also back this week talking about the World Superbikes um, header in Imola as Chaz Davis took a despicable double over the oh, Kawasaki's. Oh, that race was lit. Ask yeah. Eugene Laverty. <laughs> You've probably seen said viral clip of Eugene Laverty literally jumping off the bike at 150 miles an hour and then said then, then said bike catching flames in a fireball that would normally look like something like out of a Simpsons cartoon. Like, just like... It doesn't make any sense how the bike just immediately bursts into a pile of flame. It's ridiculous. But it's obviously that with me and Lewis Sutterby and maybe Rebecca James if you can dig around that pub at some point. Who knows? But um, that also will be out later this weekend, probably the Friday or the Saturday. So check that out when you get a chance. get into keeping it 101 and it's only fair i think we start off with the return in rj o'connell howdy y'all i uh so uh in the words of a great professional wrestler bodybuilder and restaurateur scott steiner everybody knows wants to know where i've been the last two weeks i uh, references i have been uh i was in texas last weekend i well to explain where i was two weeks ago i was at an important job interview uh, and I was expecting to be back for last week's show until I got I got summoned by my dad, who was just like, hey, let's go to Texas for four days to go visit my brother, who is a uh, orchestra musician at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, and is going to be having his spring concert in a couple of weeks. Humble um, brag. Hashtag yes. humble brag. <laughs> he's, he's really awesome. So we got to go road tripping to texas which took up two of the four days of the weekend and for the rest of the time we just chilled uh downtown texas is denton texas is really really beautiful um there is very much a hipsterish vibe to it but there are so many good places to eat down there um we got to sneak in for free comic book day at the local comic book store which was fun there were a lot of things that i wanted to buy like a really cool deadpool snapback hat but because I have no money, I couldn't really do that. Oh, oh. my god. We, we also got to eat Korean barbecue for the first time. I, I never oh. got to do this. Um, it was at a place called Gen in Carrollton, Texas nearby. Uh, so we're right in one of the largest Asian populations in North Texas. Everything is awesome. Uh, we go to this Korean barbecue restaurant. And I was very much invigorated by the task of challenge eating. Because... <laughs> Because you basically pay $25 per person, but you get to eat as much as you want within two hours, just so long as you finish whatever you've ordered, because if you don't, then you have to pay extra for it. And also, you have to be mindful of the two-hour time limit. But other than that, you can pretty much eat anything you want. They recommend getting, like, four courses, so we just went for four rounds of this challenge, and, whoo, buddy, by the end of it, um, we, we were pretty much filled to the brim. With, with delicious meats and other treats, and it was wonderful and everything I could have expected. Um, I would definitely recommend going back to Texas, um, especially considering my beloved Nashville Predators plunged their first berth in the Western Conference Finals while I was in Texas. It's a good day. It's a good day. I, I feel kind of bad that I had to go through 
Sarah Connor's beloved St. Louis Blues to get there. No, no, you don't. No, you absolutely <laughs> don't. What are you talking about? Like, because Connor's lost that bet, she had to pretend she was a Predators fan for the week. With a, yeah, she... complete, complete with Joseph Newgarden in a Predators jersey avatar. It was delicious. I was there for that game where he showed up. It was wonderful. That was the day where Shea Weber, former captain of the team, hit a shot from, from, uh, from like the 300 section down the concourse, down all the steps, onto the ice, and into the net on the other side of the arena. It's wonderful. That's not something I do perfect. Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> if you if you go search this on YouTube, you could see it's just like, I've actually stood in the place where Weber took that shot from uh, when I went to their playoff games last week, last year. Because I went to a triple overtime game last year wow. against the San Jose Sharks. Um, I did not get back home until five that morning. <laughs> five? Yeah. Because the oh. game ran until like, I want to say it ran until like one in the morning central time. Uh, and then I had to drive across time zones and it was a two hour trip between Nashville and Chattanooga. Uh. Um, but that was last year. This is this year. We're in our first Western Conference Finals and I've already split the series 1-1 against Matt Carnero's beloved Anaheim Ducks. Beloved Anaheim Ducks. You just started watching hockey two weeks ago. <laughs> it's, How can it's, you be- it's fine. It's fine, y'all. Um, Crush him. Oh, <laughs> we plan on it. I, I, I absolutely plan on it because now the series gets to go back to home. It is Monday, May the 15th. Um, games three and four are tomorrow and on Thursday as the time we're recording this. Uh, and Nashville has never lost a playoff game at home dating back to the end of last year's playoff run. Have fun, Anaheim. <laughs> crush that small Brazilian child. <laughs> <laughs> crush that Crush that team led by Ryan Kessler, who eats his corn with a fork and punches, <laughs> punches extra Capri Sun holes with the straw, completely misses the, the, the straw hole that it's supposed to go into and just punches one right in the middle of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is this is my way of uh, expressing disdain towards players that I don't really like. Um, rather than just wishing injury or death upon them, I'm just like, they do all these things that are just terrible. You like, know what eat, you want, like, RJ? Eat, you're you're eat, petty. Yeah, they eat mayonnaise out of the jar by the spoonful. Oh! <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, uh, RJ, RJ you, like, why can't we get more of this pettiness in Formula 1 from you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's, it's it's a weird transitional period where I'm just like, I take Formula One as it comes. True, true. I can't argue with that one. <laughs> Although, I, I found eating mayonnaise out of a jar of a spoon way funny than I probably should have. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, oh, dear, dear. I did promise that I was going to talk about Super GT very briefly. Um, Let's just kick a whole lot of butt at their home track at Fuji Speedway on May the 4th. For the Fuji 500 kilometers, swept the podium in GT500. The Let's Start Safe GT3 got its first win in Japan, and Yuji Tachikawa is now back atop the all-time career wins lead with his 18th victory in GT500, which now puts him back at a tie at first place at 18 wins apiece. So that is my very brief summary of the race. Next weekend, we're going to Autopolis in. Kyushu Island, which is not too far from where the earthquakes hit Kumamoto Prefecture uh, last April. So this Jeez. is the first big race since those earthquakes at that track. You may remember Autopolis for its 
very ill-fated attempts to get a Formula One Grand Prix in the early 90s, which went up in a cloud of smoke caused by the bubble economy bursting and a whole lot of bad investments in bankruptcy. Yay, credit crunch. <laughs> yep. So, and so it's the... only fitting that we transition into talking about really needlessly expensive shit, Dre. Yes, yes. Like, I, I, like for my Keeping It 101 this week, I am speaking out in ill will of overpriced shit. And um, there are two examples of this. Um, first one is from the guys at Slightly Mad Studios, the, the, the um, creators of the Project Cars franchise. Now, it's bad enough that, you know... Like, Project Cars as a series, if you remember its history, has not had the greatest of PR departments behind them. Um, you may remember that uh, their initial first game that came out was ridiculously buggy on release, despite raising several million dollars via Kickstarter and crowd- other forms of crowdfunding. And uh, then, within, like, six weeks of the game going gold... They had already announced a Project Cars 2 with another potential round of crowdfunding involved in that, which angered a lot of people, rightly so, because the first game was still a buggy, unfinished mess. Um, And a game that was almost unplayable on pads, which uh, didn't exactly go down well with the masses. If you want to hear more on Project Cars 2, I highly recommend following Mr. Adam Johnson. He's he's been been very busy uh, playing uh, early builds of the game. He's been invited to events and he's been on, I think... uh, He's been on Twitch plugging that. Like, like, the thing is, Johnson's a very bad man. He's, he, like, he plugs all of his shit on my WhatsApp every time it happens. Johnson, if you're listening to this, stop that. It's really <laughs> annoying. Pass, me, pass us all a copy of Project Cards 2 while you're at it. And also yeah, like, PS4. Like, like, if you're going to plug your shit, like, I want some freebies, okay? Like, I need, like, a free copy of Project Cards 2 in exchange, please. Like, if that's how it's going to be. If they've put Hinchcliffe's IndyCar in a game, I need a copy. Simple as that, okay? Um, <laughs> but in the meantime... They've announced Project Cars 2. That's going to be coming out in the fall, American term there, um, sometime in the autumn, most likely probably October, if I had to guess, given that's probably the month of the real big releases, and especially for sports games. It tends to be late September, early October. Um, but uh, they've announced... What was the old edition? I think they called it the this, Ultra Edition? Yes, this is the Ultra Edition. It is the top step of the four different collector's editions of Project Cars 2, that are now available for free for pre-order. Uh, Project Cars Ultra Edition uh, was announced sometime earlier this week, uh, sometime last week, and it currently goes for retail at four hundred thirty British pounds. To, to put that into perspective, you can probably get a brand new one terabyte Xbox One out of the box for like two fifty, most likely. Um, so f- the fact that Project Cars is selling an ultra edition um, of a limited edition of, a, of an ultra edition of like only a thousand copies for four hundred and thirty pounds is, for me at least, eye-watering and alarming. So I bet you're wondering, what what do you get for your four hundred and thirty pounds? I ask. Well, dear listener, here is the entire list of what you can get for your money. As I said, only one thousand copies available for this. Now, obviously, it includes the full Project Cars 2 game. I'd be alarmed if it didn't. Um, in ex- an exclusively designed premium package steelbook case, the world's most sought-after collectible packaging. That, that, that's actual words from SMS themselves. And not only that, the steelbook case, the steelbook name, is it comes with a trademark symbol. 
I, I didn't know somebody owned that. Like, <laughs> that's news to me. Um, but yeah, like, it's, yeah, the same still, but the Dirt Force coming out with, like, next week. Uh, but, uh, yeah, good for them. Now, this is probably going to be the nicest uh, little thing they're going to throw in there. A 112th scale resin model of the quote-unquote gorgeous. I'll let you be the judge on that one. McLaren 720S in a one-off SMSR stealth satin. Um, so, yeah, you get a 112th scale model of the new McLaren 720S, which is like the cover car for this year's game, which is weird for a game that's all about racing and motorsport. The cover car is a McLaren 720. Must have been some sort of brand deal going on there, I reckon. But, uh, yeah, to each their own. It also includes a sketchbook of the 720S. It says, taking a, u- a unique journey through the development of the groundbreaking supercar. Exclusively created in partnership with the design team from McLaren. The back lifts the covers on the making of the 720S. Including never-before-seen early sketches and models. Clays and renders. And guides you all the way through the final production of McLaren's new supercar. So if you like your sketchbooks and you like your art, you know, great. Speaking of which, it also comes with the Project's Cars 2 art book, which is, again, another crafted book. takes you behind the scenes to reveal how the raw excitement of the racing world has been brought to life in the virtual realm. This is so... This is so... It's just handwritten corniness right here. Like, it's every little cliché term in the book to describe this. Featuring exclusive images taken throughout the developmental process... The 200 page, 200 pages, holy shit. 200 page book demonstrates the immense attention to detail that is the hallmark of the game, while showcasing the stunning new cars and true to life locations that make the, it's the world's premier motorsports game. Don't know about that one, but uh, again, we'll go with that. This is, I think, is quite cool. The eSport Live VIP Pass. So if you present this pass to any SMS Studios or Bandai Namco staff member at Project Cars Esports live events anywhere in the world, and you'll be treated to the full benefits that come from being a Project Cars VIP. Meet the team, jump to the front of the queue, or maybe even pick up some free swag. Because who doesn't love free swag? Um, so yeah, you get an Esports VIP pass, so you can go to any Project Cars or Bandai Namco esports event as yeah, a VIP. I, I guarantee you that this will probably be worth more of your price of admission than the Vegas E-Race. Just <laughs> putting that out there. Just, yeah, just, yeah, bold prediction there from RJ, but most likely right. An individually numbered embroidered snapback cap. Again, who doesn't have a good snapback? A stunning Project Cars 2 poster signed by the SMS team, as well as the real-world drivers who make up Team SMSR. A sticker sheet, because who doesn't love sticker sheets? Um, the exclusive Japanese Cars Pack DLC. Um, the Season Pass, obviously, that'll be access to all of the future DLC that Project Cars 2 comes out of, which will most likely be a lot, given the, if, if, if you played the first one, that game had a crap ton of downloadable content attached to it. Um, and the Motorsport Pack, which includes four... Uh, this is exclusively to Season Pass holders, and it includes four favourite race cars, including the 1974 Jaguar E-Type V12... The Panos Esperante GTR1, RJ. Yeah, America! Build the Audi- front engine prototype GT1 cars for no discernible reason, other than because we can. Yay! The Audi 1991 V8 DTM, and the 2016 Opel Astra TCR. So, all of that, folks, for 430 quid. Now, I'm going to be real with you here. I think that's a crazy crazily overpriced package i just think it is when you can get a games console itself for 250 these days 430 quid i mean 
It depends. Like, are they going to run that many esports events, and are they going to run them in the United Kingdom? Because if you're if you're not in the country, they're going to be running these events. That that pass is effectively useless. It feels like most of the uh, the cost of this Ultra Edition is just going to come into the resin model car of the of the 720s. It's true, and those model cars aren't cheap. Like. If you go on Ferrari's store right now, they've got a bunch of those model cars up, and some of them can get into the thousands when it comes to pounds. Um, so, I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of the money in this is going to be coming down, basically, to you know, to that model, that model McLaren 720 itself. So, King, you got this on pre-order yet? Uh, no, no. <laughs> No, because you got it. You got to cut back. You cannot have that much avocado toast because you want to save up on Project Cars Two to get that resin model McLaren while you're playing it in your brand new big baller brand slides. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Now I don't know if anybody's seen. I don't know how many of you listen to basketball fans out there. Obviously, in the middle of the NBA conference finals right now. Great game one, by the way, last night between San Antonio and Golden State. Golden State coming back from 26 down to win game one. Um, it was a crazy game. Uh, but uh, on top of that, uh, LeVar Ball is an interesting case. Now, for those guys who don't know who LeVar Ball is, like his son, Lonzo, his oldest of three sons, Lonzo, is going to be in the NBA draft very, very soon. Probably going to go in the top five. Um, who knows, might end up being the Laker. Hooray. Um, but uh, let's just say his dad is extremely vocal. Let's say he's... If Skip Bayless manifested himself into soccer mum form, he'd probably be something along the lines of LeVar Ball. He's been... The, the media have lapped him up because he because LeVar says ridiculous things like, oh, Lonzo, I think it would be a better fit for Golden State than Steph Curry is. You know, he's, he's been on First Take for ESPN. He's been on all the, 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 the those debate shows. Really, uh, the closest motorsport analog that we have to LeVar Ball is Yas Verstappen in terms of, like, managing his son, Matt. But even then, yeah. Yas was just kind of like, you know, kind of a, just kind of an overbearing parrot out in private. He wasn't, like, you know, boasting and bragging all the time about how much better his son was than everybody else. Exactly. Um, LeVar but, but again, but again, Yasser Stappen has never said that he could beat Michael Schumacher in a race because we all know that that has never happened. Yeah, LeVar Ball wasn't was a mediocre college player. He averaged two points a game in his playing career, and he was never all that great. Yet he says he could beat Charles Barkley in a game of one on one. He has claimed that his son Lonzo can be a better fit for Golden State than Steph Curry is at the moment. And, you know, he, he loves that whole running and gunning thing. And there's, all, there's also stories on the negative side about him basically trying to take over his uh, Lonzo's high school team because he reckoned he knew better than his coach. Yeah. Um, it gets dark quite quickly with LeVar. But it, 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 there's overbearing parents and then there's complete control freaks. Yeah. And, and just is- to note, LeVar Ball's only taste of professional sports is when he was... Signed in 1995 to the New York Jets as a tight end, then immediately loaned out to the London Monarchs. You mean the London City Nanny? Is that a family guy? No, no, the no? actual real-world <laughs> football team, the London Monarchs, and... We, we, we don't speak of NFL Europe around here. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go well. Um, yeah, like, LeVar never had a prolific sports career, and yet, I think... You know, because I've always hated it, it's like... 
those dads you meet at like conventional soccer games, and I'm saying soccer because I don't want to confuse anybody, I don't want to confuse the American audience. Sorry, British people, but um, it's like all those soccer dads you get. Because like, my my brother, for example, used to be a soccer like he used, used to play soccer up till 15 on a semi-professional level, and he was actually pretty good. And like, if you ever if you've ever been to a league game, like all the dads are down there, and they're all like abusing the ref, they're abusing the officials. They're shouting profanities at their sons or other people's kids. Like, because they failed themselves at trying to be footballers, it's like they're trying to manifest themselves in their kids. And I've always hated that side of, of like, amateur sports. Um, LeVar takes that to another extreme. And, you know, he has a brand, the Big Baller brand. Um, it's a lousy brand name. It's a lousy-looking brand, if I'm being honest with you. But um, they have a habit of selling ridiculously overpriced things. Like, they have, like, $80 t-shirts, $60 snapbacks. And they unveiled a couple of weeks ago, after getting turned down by Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour um, for potentials. Apparently, like, they wanted endorsement deals. Lavar wanted co-ownership. He he wanted, I, I like, can imagine why this, uh, these deals with Nike and Adidas didn't go well. Yeah, like, 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 LeVar didn't want, he wanted, like, a $1 billion deal or something, like, to support the big brawler brand, apparently, and he wanted, like, co-ownership, he wanted, like, 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 Adidas with the big brawler brand presents, basically, it's a bit like the days when M1 tried to be a part of the UFC because they had Fedor, it's, it's that kind of crazy, we want co-ownership bullshit that's, uh, that, you know, you, that Nike would never accept in a million years, so, the Big Baller brand themselves unveiled a, their first shoe, the Lonzo 2s. And um, to put things into perspective, um, the average basketball shoe, I reckon, King, is about $150, I'd say. Maybe $180 for, the, for a pair of LeBrons. Yeah, that, like and that. those are like for like high-quality basketball shoes. Yeah, like top of the line. You're looking at maybe 150 to 180. I know Steph Curry's Curry Freeze are like 120s because they're, they're deliberately underpriced. Have kids buy their shoes, you know. Because Steph Curry's a smart dude. But, um, RJ, how much do these new Lonzos cost? All right. Um, so, first of all, this, this entire line of footwear, you can buy the Zotu Prime by Lonzo Ball from 495 to $695. <laughs> but hold on, because there is also the Zotu Wet, the personally autographed memorabilia edition of the same shoe, which will run you anywhere from $995 to $1,195. But hold on, because you also get the Zotu Signature Slides, or sandals, or whatever you want to call them. They call them slides. They're $220 for open-toed shoes that you can't even wear to work in, like, 95% of places. $220 for a pair of fucking sandals. I, I, like, I get it. I, I, I get it, LeVar. I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you know, go viral with the, with these obscenely high-priced shoes and have a couple of those early investors take up the capital. I get it. It's not it's not an entirely stupid move from LeVar because I've already seen pictures of people like like, like Chad Johnson, the former um, NFL wide receivers, bought a pair. And I know that uh, some rapper, I think, has bought 10 pairs so he can give them out to younger people that can't afford them. I think it's... Um, 
think it's Ja Rule, actually. I think he's actually... When ja he, when Rule, he's not... the man who organized the fire Festival just to fuck with <laughs> upper-middle-class white dudes. <laughs> ja Rule, my hero and, and, and saviour. Uh, but uh, apparently he's bought, like, ten pairs to try and give them to, like, underprovished kids. Like, And I've said it before, like, to be fair, they're not a terrible-looking pair of shoes. Like, they look like the Kobe Hyperdunks. They, they, like, they've put a different set of logos on it. It's not a bad-looking shoe. I'll be, I'll be real with you here. It's not terrible. But 500 bucks. Like, king, I despair. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Oh, why would you spend $500 on sneakers? <laughs> like, again, because they're not aiming for us, king. They're, they're aiming for those early investors. They want... They, they want the real believers in the brand to step up because the thing is, at five hundred, they don't have to sell that many to break even, most likely. But especially if you're a size fourteen, because if you're a size fourteen or bigger, it's it's seven hundred bucks. It's it's just obscene. You can get like five pairs of LeBron fourteens for that money. It's 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 insane. And remember, but... these are endorsed by a player who has not even played a single NBA game and who might be really awesome, but who also might be a bust. Yeah. We don't know that yet. We don't know. Like Lonzo is like he, I think the NBA draft I think is next week or, or a couple of weeks time. Um, it's about a month away. We have no idea where Lonzo is going to end up. We have no idea how he's going to be in the NBA, and yet his his dad is trying to flaunt five hundred dollar pairs of shoes. It's 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 ridiculous, and <laughs> it's it's a very Lavar Ball thing to do. And I think the question I want to ask King is that. Who's the face of the brand? Because Lavar seems to be doing all the talking. Lonzo is very quiet by comparison. Like, I genuinely want to get Lonzo in an interview on his own and have him talk about this because his dad just seems to run everything. And it's weird because, like, if it's all about his sons, why is Lavar Ball talking so much? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 like, his, his sons are clearly, like, for the most part, they just want to play basketball. That's it. Yeah, and... It's like, as I said, who's the face of the brand then? Because, he, like, it's like, because if you hear Lavar talk, it's all about wanting the best for his sons. He's already talked about how Lamelo is a better player than Lonzo is, and he's still in. I think he's still in his last year in high school. Um, and it's, it's like, it's like, it's like the Williams sisters all over again. King's like, when Venus broke through as an eighteen-year-old at the U.S. Open, and her dad was like, "Oh, don't you worry, <laughs> like, don't you worry, her younger sister's even better than she is," and I'm like. Oh, really? I mean, that's, like, <laughs> the cliche thing to say. Like, even Ayrton Senna says, Oh, my nephew Bruno's better than I am. Mark Marquez has said that, too. He's like, Mom, Mark's like, Oh, my, my brother Alex is better than me. Debatable. <laughs> that um, is highly uh, debatable. <laughs> that's me being very kind there when I say that's debatable. But um, it's the same deal. So I, I had to point this out and talk about it because this is just ridiculous. And it, it goes hand in hand, I think, as to how American sports is being consumed right now because it's all about hot takes. We all want to get our takes out to the world as quickly as possible. It's a world of instant gratification. It's a world where Stephen A. Smith can still steal a paycheck by just coming out with controversial shit every day on ESPN. How Colin Cowher can get away with being a dick on, on Fox Sports every two seconds. And LeVar Ball fits into that mold perfectly. Just an outspoken mouthpiece. He probably doesn't even mean half the things he says. <laughs> but says it anyway because he knows they're good sound bikes and the media will lap it up. It's 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 crazy to me. If you can't afford the Zo twos, you're not a big baller. <laughs> <laughs> Cash emoji. 
tweet that was tweeted by LeVar Ball on May 4th, 2017 at 7.44pm. Did you see Shaq's response? I have not seen it. Shaq on Twitter posted a response saying, um, "If you, you know what real big ballers do at LeVar Ball? They they don't price themselves out so kids can't afford their shoes. <laughs> and bless they you, bless you, you, future sheriff of Atlanta, Shaquille O'Neal. Bless him, because his Shaq attack shoes were always terrible, but they were always cheap. So, so kids could actually afford to buy them. God bless Shaquille O'Neal, everybody. Right, King, tell us about some grid goal shit. Well, first, I just gotta say, unlike unlike RJ, I'm I'm kind of sad because my New York Rangers are no longer in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, <laughs> yep, eliminated in six games to the Ottawa Senators. And that wasn't even the most crushing Eastern Conference semifinals elimination of the past week. Shout out <laughs> to Alexander Ovechkin, who has still never made it out of the second round of the playoffs. Despite, this generation's Chris Paul. Yeah, <laughs> despite like leading the league in goals for like the past like five years. God bless Alex Ovechkin, he deserves better. But hey, at least he can still bone me a Khalifa as a famous fan. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> and those who get that reference, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Go on, King. I had to get that one in. <laughs> yes, we're going to Spain a little bit earlier than probably most of you were expecting to talk about a party in uh, Catalonia. Uh, well, they're called the... Uh, the Initiativa per Catalonia Verdes, which is like the initiative for the Catalonian Greens. They're effectively Catalonia's version of the Green Party. Lit. Yes, and they uh, they don't exactly want to ban grid girls, but they want to in- enforce a dress code and also include uh, uh, grid boys. Well? <laughs> because... Uh, because quotes, uh, the role, the role the grid girls play today in, in the circuit the Catalonia is not fitting of the 21st century, a society that aims to be modern and egalitarian. Uh, what it does is objectify and vex women with a role in which they are a simple object and an ornament of the situation. To which I say, we, well, no shit. We've had, people, <laughs> yes. we've had friends of ours. We've even said it ourselves. We've been screaming about this for for a while now. This Good, is nothing yeah. new to us. No, it's it's like you're preaching to the choir here, party. But um, yeah, carry on, King. Yeah, basically, uh, they don't control the government, the local town government, and then Montmelo, which is the town where the circuit is in. But like, uh, they're basically in a coalition with the with the Catalonian Socialist Party which control the government so basically uh, it's going to happen yikes so they want a dress code and they want male models on the grid as well as female ones yes I guess that's an improvement but I still don't think that's the root of the problem here like it, like for me, it feels like it's an improvement, but I think it also glosses over the overall arcing point: is that I don't think human beings should be employed just to dress up and sell shit. Well, like, the the issue is for them to implement a full ban, they would basically they'd basically be locking horns with Dorna. So if they implement a full ban, Dorna can say we won't race in Barcelona. 
Do you think Dorna would really stop racing in Barcelona? Because that's like that's their biggest round on the calendar, Catalonia. It's up there between that and Magello, I'd argue. <laughs> well, again, they could race somewhere else in Spain for a fourth Spanish round. True. I mean, they've already got Jaref, Aragon, and Jaref. Uh, I'm sorry, Jaref, Aragon, and what's the other one? I'm missing Valencia as the season finale. They've already got three rounds in Spain. Um, if they want a fourth, they could always go somewhere else, I guess. They could probably um, build their own, like, Barcelona clone in some other part of the of Spain, because, let's face it, Dorna's got money. They do. Flowing out of their ears. Um, they're making bank right now, and their series is as popular as it's ever been. And, again, universally beloved, given how competitive this year's season has been. They're riding on the crest of the wave. However, Dorna is also probably the biggest culprit of exploiting the paddock girls and the grid girls to enhance their product. If anyone's ever subscribed to MotoGP on YouTube, for example, every round there is a paddock girls video, and it is some of the most cringe-worthy media in all of motorsports. It's... It's it's not nice, to yeah. say the least. And, and I've talked about this for years. And just the note that uh, this does apply to every race at the Circuit of Catalunya, Circuit of Catalunya Barcelona. So it also applies to the Spanish Grand Prix. But obviously, it wouldn't be such a big of an issue for Formula One if they implemented dress code and basically, like, it, the the biggest hanging point is that there would be a dress code. Yeah, um, which I don't think would be a problem because. When they get the clapping girls out in F1, they're all in uniform anyway. So, you know, it's that that really wouldn't bother F1 at all if that if there was a dress code implemented. So that's why, like, like the, that's why MotoGP is kind of like at the focus of this. Yeah, because MotoGP takes it one step further, really. By let's be having, let's be real, they have scantily clever men everywhere, and the teams like it. I remember back in. 2015 when Cal Crutchlow was trying to uh, unveil his new LCR bike when he joined the team they revealed it in a nightclub in London and they had women there and they were naked and they had body paint on to advertise the, the bike and it's like <sighs> really and yeah like we're the teams love this, this shit but yes, it's like we are still doing this. I, though I should note the first person to publicly take a jab at this idea was not someone in MotoGP Someone go on, go on. in Formula One. Who? Uh, you you recall the, the the podium ceremony after the race in Spain this weekend? Ah, yeah. When Lewis Hamilton inadvertently said, "Yeah, the goal should stay here," and I'm like, "No, Lewis." <laughs> like this is the guy that three like like six weeks ago in Australia was saying we need more dudes in the paddock. Way to go, Lewis. Way to go. <laughs> Like, the, the PR which must have been turned off, King. <laughs> it must have been turned off when, like, he, he saw the champagne and his eyes got, got too big. Uh, yeah. Um, we, got some, we got some work to do here, folks. We got some work to do. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't know what to make of this one, King. It's like, it feels like a step in the right direction, but it also feels like it's, it's like a Band-Aid to me, more than anything else. Well, again, it is a seven-right direction. It, it, it's... It's making sure that there are steps in the right direction. You're not going to get the massive leap forward, but it's you're supposed to always keep pushing in the right direction. True. Very true. Very right. true. Yeah. The, and the and end and goal and is that, that adults, that human beings, should not really be uh, presented as objects in any form of motorsport. Um, but at least it's it's still better than like I don't know having your having your 
I guess, human accessories or however the fuck you want to present them, uh, red girls, whatever, just having them dress like XFL cheerleaders. Ugh. I was watching that. I was watching some of their coverage the other day as part of um, OSW Review's YouTube channel, and uh, the tagline of the commercial was, the XFL cheerleaders, don't worry, we'll teach them how to cheer. And it's like, oh, God. How very 2001. Um, but yeah, like again, a step in the right direction. Very interesting that it's gone so far that a political party has pointed this out. That's big. Like I can't imagine, for example, like the Liberal Democrats in the United Kingdom saying, we want grid girls banned at Silverstone. Like, I can never imagine that happening. So that's a, a, you know, kind of bizarre in a sense, but still like a, 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 an interesting and good story in terms of, again, a step in the right direction regarding the objectification of people in motorsport, to say the least. So guys, should we talk about the rest of the Spanish Grand Prix? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds like a plan. Yep, after this quick musical interlude, we'll talk about the Spanish Grand Prix. Hooray! gentlemen we had the spanish grand prix this weekend at the circuit de catalunya and um wait a minute this race normally sucks how did this end up being so damn good how did this happen <laughs> we've we've made a mistake we we took out all the captain crunch and replaced it with the crunch berries and we made something <laughs> entirely different what on earth it actually worked um this this was crazy like this was a crazy good f1 weekend in general like this this had no right being as good a weekend as it was. It started right the way back from from Friday, even when we we got we got word um, RJ of new regulations and rules regarding car numbers. Yes, we have more visible car numbers. Um, we also have more visible driver names. You saw a lot of uh, teams actually put the three letter driver code on the shark fins of the car because got to use nice that touch. space while it's still there. Um, a lot of teams. Like, Ferrari in particular, they went with, like, a nice retro touch with their new numbers on the front nose cones. Oh, it was beautiful. Some of the teams did it really well. Some of the teams didn't. But overall, as long as it improves the general fan experience, um, my only gripe would be that, hey, why not use that all that real estate on the rear wing end plates, you know, like IndyCar does, and like you used to do way back in the day. I don't know. Just a minor pet peeve. But, yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Again, that was upgrade talk in the air. Mercedes had brought new engine bits, and you know there was there was a ridiculous amount of aero brought to the weekend as well. And there was a lot of hype. I honestly thought Mercs were going to completely dominate this qualifying session. Turns out, uh, same old shit, but a very very close same old shit, RJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got uh, we got our results from qualifying. In fact, uh, the top. The top four cars in qualifying, Hamilton from Vettel, from Botas, from Raikkonen, and were all separated by less than three-tenths of a second. Yeah, and uh, Vettel was four-tenths up on his final hot lap going through Sector 2, but lost it all as he locked up into the final chicane. That final and, uh, chicane is garbage. Yeah, I hate it. Um, I know why yeah. it's there, but it's still garbage. 
Yeah, I know. Me too. Um, especially now. <laughs> Venom was extremely apologetic on the radio afterwards with, with profanities laced in there too, saying, F, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I blew the last chicane. And like, I did see that they, they have a new feature now where they got Will Buxton out onto the grid themselves and interviewed the drivers immediately after qualifying, which was interesting um yeah, i liked it it's a good touch um it's sort of an extension of you know making making the drivers more accessible to fans getting more fan engagement and they also took an idea that nbc sports commentator lee diffie had been pitching not only to interview the top three but also interview another driver just off the top three who certainly made headlines and fernando alonso he made headlines because he qualified that mclaren in seventh yeah, I just, that was incredible. Congratulations, you are back to where you were this time last year. Gold star, top of the class. Um, yeah, like, for what it's worth, again, they, they blatantly ripped the idea directly from MotoGP that have been doing that for years, like immediate Park Ferme interviews. Still, nice to have it in F1, and Will Buxton is great, so... You know, you, you can't really go wrong with that. The banter was definitely there between the between the top two. Uh, more on that later. Um, like, but as mentioned, Fernando Alonso, what an incredible lap that was! It says it says it all. Where not only does Lewis Hamilton's pole lap up, uploaded to YouTube, but also Fernando's as well from P7 because it, it, it resonated that strongly. It was the first time a McLaren had made Q3 this season, and then he's out qualified. Uh, both Force Indias um, to do that as well. An incredible lap from Fernando Alonso. And a nice reminder that a man is still what you would call an F1 alien when he wants to be. Um, very, very impressive job indeed from Nando. What do you make of that one then, King, real quick? <laughs> uh, mm, qualifying, I would... It was a lot closer between the top two and I... Th well, the top two teams. I, I could yeah. definitely say that there's... It, it's hard to ignore that there's a gap between Ferrari and Mercedes and everyone else. Yeah, it's like from what I remember, like the top two were within three tenths. I think Red Bull was about a second slower than them, and then Fernando Alonso was a second slower than the Red Bulls. That kind of says it all, really. Like the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in F1 is getting bigger by the race. Oh, Again, it gets worse when we break down the results of the 66-lap race itself because yeah. Hamilton and Vettel were just off to the races and everybody else was just fighting for third. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, Hamilton and Vettel were in a different league this Grand Prix compared to everybody else. It was, it was crazy. Even after, I mean... We'll talk about the about why there was why it was this in a minute, but uh, obviously all three of the big teams had one non-finisher in there. Unfortunately, uh, two of them were claimed right by turn one. Valtteri Bottas's engine blowing up in the latest stage of the Grand Prix as well, sadly, so he could he didn't take the checkered flag either. But there was only three men on the same racing lap as they crossed the line. Like Hamilton and Vettel were a few seconds apart. Daniel Ricciardo was over a minute behind the... five seconds. Yeah, a minute and 15 off the top two. And then everybody else was at least a lap down. That is alarming. We're <laughs> getting uh... back to the old days, folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Christian Horner tried to spin it a different way where he said, well, quote, if you look in... Look at the weekend as a whole. We have definitely addressed some of the issues, and we have definitely made some progress with the car. 
I think Max was unlucky at the start. <laughs> he picked the outside. Valtteri started off started off a chain reaction, hitting Kimi Raikkonen and bouncing the Max. And uh, there was a small chance he was going to come out of that corner third, but three into one unfortunately doesn't go. It was a shame to lose Max in the first lap. And they also mentioned that um, that uh, uh, Max was six tenths off the pole time, which was the closest that they've been all year to pole. Six temps in qualifying is still a vast gaping chasm, but um, that 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 was a that was an excellent spin job from Christian Horner, given that his his main driver and main car was a minute and fifteen seconds off the win. Yeah, like, they were fifteen seconds worse than, than Russia. That kind of says it all. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to continue on in that. Uh, continue on. Horner says thereafter, Daniel had a pretty lonely race, benefiting from Botas's retirement. Pretty much halfway through the race, we turned the engine down to save engine life, as we obviously, obviously it has to do quite a few events. So basically, they chalked the the 75 second gap to them turning the engine down. Oh, whatever. (laughs) Red Bull are a country mile off where they need to be, and they're a team of the standards of Christian Horner and Red Bull. Like, they are way off where they want to be. But hey, they'll take results where they can get them. And a very, very well-earned third place for Daniel Ricciardo, his first podium of the year. And hey, it, given if Red Bull really are a distant third, the fact they've got two podiums already through the first five rounds is not a bad haul for them, really, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, let's talk about that leading battle up the front. And uh, King, it was a war between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> yeah, it was. it was a war... Uh, like you could tell, you could tell they were putting everything into it. I think uh, in the post-race press conference, Lewis said that he was he was basically pushing until he couldn't push anymore. Yeah, he said he lost two kilos in weight uh, during that race, so he's 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 lost something in the in the range of five pounds in the space of a ninety-minute motorsport race. He was really shattered by the time that race was over. He looked exhausted. Um, and it, it showed. Like it was an incredible fight between Hamilton and Vettel. It was more of a tactical fight than anything else. There was there was, there was a bit of there was a bit of wheel to wheel action. We'll get to in a minute. But um, Vettel got the better start. He led through turn one, got ahead of Hamilton, was about two seconds in front. The gap was always about two seconds. But it seemed that Ferrari took the bait. They they felt like Mercedes were gonna free stop it. Mercs weren't actually going to free stop. They were going to two-stop it. But Ferrari essentially pit Vettel probably a little bit too early. Um, Seven laps earlier than Hamilton and 12 laps before Botas came in. Yeah, um, the soft tyres clearly could go long, as we found out in the second half of the race. And with Pascal Verlein, more more on him in a minute. But again, Ferrari boxed their car very early. They had to put Vettel on the medium tyre instead. Um, Hamilton got a bit agitated because, again, Vettel was taking time out of Hamilton like at a rate of nearly two seconds a lap. They had, like, um, they had to tell Hamilton to calm down. A chance will come later. And uh, Vettel had to stretch his second set of soft tyres out a little bit longer until the virtual safety car came out as Stoffel Van Dorn drove into the side of Felipe Massa's car. Um, Stoffel lols, I like to say, pretty much. Um, I don't know what Stoffel was thinking on that one. Um, he owned it, fair play to him. He just said straight up, I made a mistake. Um, silly Stoffel. Um, but it caused a virtual safety car. It was a long virtual safety car because they had to get a crane on track to remove the beached car that Van Dorn left in the Turn 1 gravel trap. And as soon as the virtual safety car ended... 
essentially Hamilton Hamilton pit, and Toto took full credit for this seemingly mistake on paper because basically he gave Ferrari no time to respond. Um, Ferrari had to pit their car immediately. They had to put Vettel out on the set of medium tires, and Hamilton was on the set of soft tires on the last stint. They came out of the pit side by side, essentially, which oh led to... Oh my goodness, it was so much fun. And then Vettel kind of pushes Hamilton off. Hamilton goes wide, and the NBC commentators think that he's run afoul of the uh, of the track re-entry rules for a while. It was fun. It was a fun time. It was a fun time indeed, and yeah, Hamilton said, oh, that's dangerous. And then after the race, he says, oh, that's how I want to race. I want a real race. Again, Lewis Hamilton can't decide anything these days. But um, eventually, like, Vettel had to try and survive the onslaught as Hamilton tried to get past Vettel on, on those softer tyres. But in the end, I think about four or five laps later, Vettel finally succumbed to Hamilton on the soft tyres, giving more grip, um, coming over the line. And, yeah, Hamilton would go on to win pretty comfortably in the end. Um, but... It was a war. Like, we're making this not sound as good as it was. Like, the tactical intrigue in this, the, the strategies we had to run, because I don't know if you saw it on YouTube, me, King, Johnson, and Sasha, we all watched it on, on, on a Google Hangout together, and it was great. The fact that we had to go through all the strategic options and working out who could do what, it, it, was, it made for a very, very dramatic Grand Prix. Yeah, even there was a finish. time where... Oh, you probably don't even remember it, but there was a time Valtteri Bottas was in the lead of the Grand Prix. Well, and why do you bring this up, King? Uh, because, uh... Because your man's. That's yeah, why. Uh, basically, Mercedes used, like, they ran Bottas long to basically hold, try to slow Vettel's onslaught. And it worked because it took Vettel three laps to get past him, and... It, it took a tremendous pass from Sebastian Vettel into turn one, running two wheels on the grass with the triple fake out to try and get past Valtteri on that main straight. I counted and, like four moves that Vettel made trying to sell a dummy to Valtteri Bottas, and Valtteri was having none of it. Yeah, as I said, Vettel had to go all the way to the right-hand side of the track again, and then some. He put two wheels on the grass uh, coming through, but he was able to make it stick. It was a spectacular move. But um, the damage was already done. It had basically put Hamilton about five seconds closer to Sebastian's car by having Bottas run long and hold him up, basically. And that was a little factor that may have contributed to eventually to uh, to Hamilton getting the W in the end. Vettel talked about it after the race where he said you know, the, the fight with Val and this, the virtual safety car was probably little factors that may have, be, that may have been 10 seconds either way and that could have won Vettel the Grand Prix. But... Um, RJ, a very hard-fought win number 55 for Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Goodness, that was a fun race. Um, we saw times where Mercedes and Ferrari looked like they were geniuses and times where they looked foolish and like they made the wrong move for their teams. Um, Hamilton and Vettel were pretty much in a league all to themselves, as we had previously stated, to be one of two of only three drivers to finish on the lead lap. and Their, their pace was just relentless from start to finish. Um, yeah, going, going, especially like going for like, didn't Hamilton like set his one of his faster laps, thirty laps into a stint on one single set of tires? Yes. Yeah, Lewis Lewis Hamilton set his set the fastest lap of the race on the penultimate lap and the 29th lap of him being on the soft compound tire. 
Pirelli. <laughs> that, sh that probably shouldn't be happening, King. Like, I don't think they should be setting fastest laps on 30-lap old tyres. Yeah, I know. Like, like uh, I think at the last Grand Prix, Pirelli noted that for next year, they want a bigger gap between the compounds. Yeah, they want a bigger gap and they want more of a drop-off because this is ridiculous. Um, because... Like, I don't think, like, tires, like, the softest tire you bring to a weekend shouldn't be able to do more than half race distance. Yeah. I've said and this not at a track like Barcelona, which is normally hot in the middle of May. It's abrasive. It's one of the toughest tires on track. And I guess the FIA just decided we want, we want these tires to be stupid hard. And goodness knows, Pirelli is going to give Formula One exactly what they wanted. So now the tires are stupid hard. Yep, and again, like I said, able to do like just like Russia, like, like Russia last year, like last round timeout, Nico Hulkenberg did thirty nine out of fifty two laps oh on the God. soft compound don't, tire. Don't remind us about Russia. Yeah, let's. I'm not going to go there for too long, but like I said, Hulkenberg was able to go seventy five percent race distance on the softest tire they brought to a weekend. That shouldn't be happening. And if all like like, there's no point in using that third compound of tire in a Grand Prix weekend. There's no point because it's unrunnable because of how slow it is. Um, it's it's silly to me, and you know that's that's just how it is basically. But you know that's Pirelli just giving what the FI wanted them to give them, and it let the tug of war continue between them. But uh, an incredible display from Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel this weekend. Those two are something else, and I have to admit the banter between them in the after the race was quite funny. Um, if you've ever seen the, the post-race press conference where you know, like Vettel claims he gave Hamilton enough room, <laughs> Hamilton was like, "No, you didn't," <laughs> and awkward laughs ensue, basically. And uh, and Vettel said, "Well, you're still here, right?" And then Hamilton goes, "Yeah, just like I'm starting to see the first little bit of tension creep in between between Hamilton and Vettel." Um, after that, very very close Grand Prix finish. Um, Taking the top three out of the equation for a minute, uh, RJ, so that was about your man's. <laughs> Whoa, man, Force India had a pretty, pretty stellar weekend. Well, I think a lot better than what a lot of people were thinking, but both both Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon qualified inside the top ten. They were able to take advantage of that mess of a first lap. By, by about the first handful of laps, they were solidly in fifth and sixth place. And after Valtteri Bottas's engine blew up, it put Perez in a fourth and Esteban Ocon in a fifth. This is the best result Force India has gotten all season. It's the best start they've had as a team ever. They're solidly fourth place in the championship, just like they were about this time last year. Once again, we always want to say that Force India is going to start falling off the cliff. And while they're not necessarily going any higher, they're staying about where they're at. Which is awesome. They are always in the right place at the right time. Forcing you just have this uncanny knack of being able to pull this off. And Sergio Perez, he is Mr. Inconvenience right here. Where if something crazy happens at the front of the field, the guy that always takes advantage is Sergio friggin' Perez. Another fourth place finish. And Esteban Ocon, a fantastic fifth right behind him as well. Um, very impressive, but it wasn't exactly all good news for, for Force India this weekend. No, because, um, well, we mentioned those uh, new number rules. Um, mm -hmm. Force India got a 20,000 pound fine 
for uh, for not complying with these new regulations on having more visible numbers and driver names. It is the single dumbest penalty, certainly of this decade. Really? <laughs> it, it's it's up there at least. It, it's I, just so petty. I, the, I mean, if, I, the it, fact it's that it, it's petty, have... but the rules there for a reason. Like 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 they knew what the rules were, right? But uh, <laughs> not exactly because. Uh, their sporting director, Andy Stevenson, he, he told Motorsport.com, We clearly thought we were in compliance because we showed the FIAR intentions at the race in Sochi and they weren't questioned. The number on the car hasn't moved all year. It's only increased in size as requested by the FIA in a directive by Charlie Whiting. You know what's funny is that it felt like the BWT logos had actually gotten larger <laughs> over the course of the season. <laughs> Just to remind you who's sponsoring our car this year. Just in case you weren't unaware by the fact it's painted pink. <laughs> yep. And like he even added, the confusing thing for us is that we believe that we were compliant because no one spoke with us, spoke to us until after the race. The scrutineers actually checked the numbers in the car on Thursday. The new guidelines had been set out, which are maybe not as clear as, as we needed them to be, but we're happy to get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just it's... saying, like, if they had gotten their results taken away from their numbers, not complying to a size that they thought they would have, that would have just been the dirt worst. And because of how unclear it was, uh, the fine isn't actually, like, a direct fine. It's just, it's a suspended fine. So as long as they don't violate any rules for 12 months, they don't have to pay the fine. Yeah, like, it, it's it, consider it, consider their wrists severely slapped. Basically, even though it wasn't Force India's fault at all, and the FIA seemed to pull the rug out from underneath them, um, which is unfortunate to say the least. Um, we don't mention it on that set list, but I want to give a shout out to Nico Hulkenberg. Great job in sixth place. Renault's best that, result, I think, since they've. Since, I think that's their best yes, result since they've come back. Yes, <laughs> it is their best result since they've come back to Formula One as a full fledged factory team, or since the last time they were Lotus, depending on which version of continuity you prefer. Yeah, uh, that is a tremendous job from Nico Hulkenberg. He was running with those Force Indias for a good while as well. And it's it's crazy. Hulkenberg is finishing in sixth place, and his teammate Jolian Palmer was the last of the runners on track that day, over a lap behind him. That's embarrassing. Um, Hulkenberg is literally carrying that Renault team as far as he can take it um, at the moment. Um, Hulkenberg He's Greg unit. Jennings with the broken leg putting the team on his back. Oh, but I, back, no. I I should add one thing to the to the the number conundrum that the reason why they were fined is because they don't have uh the the number or the three letter abbreviation on the side of the car. Oh, yeah, that that that's kind of banged to rights, really, isn't it? Yeah, like that, like the FIA should have told them, but. They just assumed that they would fix it. They didn't fix it, and that's why they got the fine. Oh, Jake, come get your man. <laughs> still take the twenty-two points, though. Uh, twenty-two yeah, more points than anyone else. St- Stevenson's retort is: the issue we have is is that we have sponsorship contracts in place. We can't breach the the contract when the rules and regulations haven't been changed. They argue that uh, it isn't a rule but a request, and. Basically, that uh, since TW uh, BWT already have the rights to the shark fin, so they just you know didn't make the change because you know they thought it was a request, not a rule. 
They have enough room for both. <laughs> it's a big R shark fin. We saw the original version of what that car looked like. That shark fin was enormous. <laughs> How much space do you want, BWT? <laughs> but um, yeah, fair enough on that one. Also, going a little bit further down the field. Pascal goddamn Verlein, ladies and gentlemen. What a performance from him there. Seventh place on the road, eighth place after a unfortunate five-second time penalty for uh, Verline missing the pit lane bothered on entry, but uh, it, didn't, it didn't hurt his race too much. But still, four very precious points for the Sauber team in the grand scheme of things, and uh, they, they made the one-stopper work, King. Yes, they, they made it work. Just just barely, they made it work. <laughs> Like Ruth Buxton doing the Lord's work in the strategy department there. I think they, they boxed Verline under the virtual safety car around middle distance. Um, Came in and, on lap 33, exactly. Yep, 33, so pretty much half distance. And despite Hulkenberg passing Verline in the pits upon exit, uh, Verline was able to fend off Carlos Sainz behind him. Um, and yeah, finished ahead of him on the road, but as I said, the five-second time penalty knocked him down to eighth, which was cemented by Kevin Magnussen's unfortunate late puncher, which dropped him out of the points. Um, but despite that, eighth place for Verline and uh, RJ, how do you go from a broken neck to scoring points in three rounds? That's kind of nuts. <laughs> that is pretty astounding. You know, I, I feel like maybe, no, we actually have been pretty unfair to Pascal Verline since suffering that neck injury and you know, how long it took for him to come back. But you know what? It's well and truly justified. Pascal Verline is a phenomenal driver. His racecraft is much better than his qualifying form. It He just barely snuck his way into Q2, but he paid that back with a good start. Great strategy by the Sauber team and by Ruth Buskem. Again, it cannot be said enough how great of a job she's done in the last year between Haas and now Sauber. Lord's and work. Right, and Verline did his part to pull away and get the gap that he needed to keep himself in the points after the five-second die penalty. Brilliant stuff from Pascal Verline. Very narrowly missed out on driver of the day status. That I'm surprised he went to Sebastian Vettel. Um, apparently, it was very close, according to the guys on the F1 social media department. But Vettel got the nod just over Pascal Verline, which is weird because Vettel actually won a popularity contest. That <laughs> never happens. Um, anyway. We've got to talk about Turn 1 and the the ping-pong incident at Turn 1 where, where Botas nudges Raikkonen and he nudges Verstappen. Two of them retire. Botas gets away with it. Uh, King, come get your mans. <sighs> I mean, I would say... I think uh, I'm in the same camp as the stewards where it was like a usual Turn 1 racing incident. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Botas didn't really do very much wrong. He had to hug the inside line, and you can't go free wide through that corner. You just can't do it. It's 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 not advisable, Max. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a bit of pinball. Val gave Kimi a very light tap, but it, it was a tap on the rear. Kimi lost the rear. He collides with Verstappen, and both for both Raikkonen and Verstappen's races effectively end at turn one. And Verstappen, who goes from the hero last year um, to a a total afterthought this year. Yeah. Formula Sad Formula course. One comes at you fast, but hey, Max Verstappen still has plenty of time to bounce back at one of his favorite tracks in Monaco. Oh. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tall order, I reckon. Um, 
to say the least. But an unfortunate Turn 1 racing incident there. But um, it did certainly brighten the afternoon, well, later down the road, for a certain fan on the internet. Hey, Mr. O'Connell. Oh, goodness. Um, so, Thomas Donnell was caught on the camera just crying his eyes out because Kimi Raikkonen had gotten knocked out of the race. Which, if you're a Ferrari fan you're a little kid, you see your car breaking getting punted out of the race in front of you, you're going to be upset. I would be upset, too. Um, they catch this on the camera, and we're all just thinking, like, man, how, how fucking messed up is it that this kid is just going to be on camera uh, just for that shot of him crying? Like, it, it's great when adults are doing the surrender cobra after their team gets blown out in a football game. But, <laughs> but this is an entirely different story. Well, fast forward to later in the race... And when Vettel makes that move on Valtteri Bottas, you see little Thomas, he's cheering. He's happy about it. And what does Ferrari do? Ferrari, one of the most exclusive and kind of stuffy teams in Formula One who don't really engage in social media all that much. They bring Thomas and his family over to the garage to meet Kimi Raikkonen. It was wonderful. That was, it, it was a beautiful gesture from Ferrari. And you could see... Like, I said that on Twitter, that's how you make a fan for life, right there. Like, give the kid an unforgettable experience. He, he, he was he was shown to the, through the paddock, he was in the back with Kimi Raikkonen and getting a signed cap, a, 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 a photograph of the family, and then he was out underneath with the team during the podium ceremony to, to celebrate Sebastian Vettel's second place. Um... Oh, it was, it was. He was even on Sky F1 afterwards. Like Ted Kravitz gave him an interview. It was really cute. Like, like Ted's got a, got a decent French game on him. Who knew? But um, yeah, a, a, a beautiful moment, and you know, a very very cool bit of a um, you know a, a, a cool bit of fan fan gesture there from from Ferrari. Again, as you say, Ferrari's not known for things like this, to say the least. But it, it was a it was a lovely gesture, and I'm glad that. Uh, Ferrari able to make a little kid's day. That was that was a lovely gesture. So well done Ferrari where that's concerned, and well done Formula One for uh, turning a little negative into a positive. That's something I never normally get to say about F one. That's I feel weird. I, need, I feel dirty. I need a shower. Um, RJ, talk about Williams for a minute while I get the shower going. <laughs> oh boy, Williams. They didn't have a good day. Felipe Massa ran into Fernando Alonso in that first rat, lap fracas. Massa yeah. picked up a puncture um, that compromised him down to thirteenth. Lance Stroll finished in 16th. It was actually classified one spot behind Julian Palmer. Being a rookie is very hard. Lance Stroll <laughs> finished last. Stoffel Van Dorn took himself out on a move that he admits was dumb and was largely outclassed by Alonso all weekend. And Stoffel Van Dorn is not terrible, and neither is Lance Stroll. And you can also throw in Antonio Giovinazzi, whose last race ended in rather clumsy fashion. Being a rookie is very difficult, and this year's cars have kind of highlighted that. Indeed, like from, from from the Williams struggling to the rookie struggling to Jody and Palmer's continued existence, the oh struggle is real. Yes, um, <laughs> the struggle is most definitely real. But uh... see, all Jolian, but jo with Jolian Palmer, it's a bit different because all he has to do is land like a ride in like a Lamaze GTE car and have some amount of success, and all of a sudden he goes from being a terrible Formula One retread to a true talent that Formula One gave up on way too soon. <laughs> the long game is there, Jolie, and you just got to believe in yourself. You mean future mana LMP2 driver, <laughs> Jolie and Palmer there, yeah? <laughs> it, it could even be for Jackie Chan DC Racing. You never know. Yay, roll with it. 
that 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 could definitely work. That could definitely yeah. work. Yeah, Williams didn't have a good day here. McLaren, after their triumphant qualifying session, did not have a good day because Alonso got ran off the first corner. He did actually pass a car down front straightaway with his Honda hey! engine. Who knew? Who knew that the Honda still has grunt in it? Even though, yeah, Bandor took himself out and Alonso didn't even finish in the points, but that's still an improvement. Hey, you, you got to start somewhere, my friend. You got to start somewhere. Just have a quick full rundown of the race and the championship standings before we move on. Yeah, as right. we mentioned, Lewis Hamilton takes his 55th career Grand Prix victory by just 3.4 seconds over Sebastian Vettel, who has now gone five races in a row, finishing either first or second. For Ferrari, the guy will not go away. He is a continuous pest on this championship scene. Daniel Ricciardo finishing a mere 1 minute and 15 seconds off the win in third. And as mentioned, he was the last man on the lead lap. Everybody else was a lap down or worse. Sergio Perez in fourth. A career high for Esteban Ocon in fifth. Fun fact, Force India are the only team to have all 10 of their cars so far this season finish in the points. Nico Hülkenberg in 6th, Renault's best finish since they return as a full-fledged factory team in 6th. Carlos Sainz, a scrappy race in 7th, one of frustration being stuck behind a Haas for most of the Grand Prix or a Sauber, but still a 7th place finish there. Pascal Verlein scores Sauber's first points in 8th, 4 very precious points indeed, despite the 5 second time penalty. Then Kvyat from the back row of the grid to 9th place. back row, after, after having to make a pit stop on the opening lap, and after tangling with Kevin Magnussen late in the race, still finishes ninth. Tremendous drive from Dino Kvyat, one of the best of his career to date. Stunning stuff from Dino Kvyat there. Romain Grosjean rounded off the points in 10th for Haas. Everybody else was two laps down. Marcus Ericsson in 11th, a great drive for Marcus, all things considered. Just a shame he's been a little bit outshone there by Pascal. Fernando Alonso limped home in 12th after the disappointment of being taken off the track. In the, in the early going there. Shame he ruined what was a tremendous qualified effort in 12th. Felipe Massa, as mentioned, in 13th. Out of Kevin Magnussen, who suffered a puncher right towards the end of the Grand Prix, unfortunately. Julian Palmer, 15th. And Lance Stroll in the last of the runners in 16th place, two laps down. Four retirements, as mentioned. Valtteri Bottas' engine blowing up on lap 39. Stoffel van Dorn, who took himself out by turning into Felipe Massa in turn one. Um, and, of course, Max Verstappen and Kimi Raikkonen failing to get past lap two in the end. Championship standings. Sebastian Vettel still leads the championship with 104 points. He's six points clear of Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas now a long way away. 41 points off the top now in third place. Kimi Raikkonen still limping there in, in fourth place on 49 points. And Daniel Ricciardo is now up to fifth in the standings with 37 on the constructor side of things, Mercedes now have extended their gap to 8 points of 161 over Ferrari's 153. Red Bull still in third with, with 72 points, but closing in a little bit there. Force India in fourth place with, with 53 points. And Toro Rosso move into the top five now with, with their double points finish. Now have 21 points there in fifth place. Next time out, we head to Monaco in a fortnight's time. That totally won't be affected by qualifying or anything of the of the like, right? You know? First Larry of the Day of Classics. Yeah, can't wait for that one. That'll be on May 29th. Look forward to that. Speaking of the Day of Classics, Indianapolis. And uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the IndyCar Grand Prix at Indianapolis. Right after this.
King, it was coming, wasn't it? Like, we, 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 like Will Power was due to dominate a weekend, and well, there he did. Yeah, <laughs> he he got it. He got it done. He got it done. Uh, he went from won't power to will power. <laughs> <sighs> you had to go there, didn't you, RJ? You had to do it. That someone was bound to. Yeah, might as well have been you, but uh, willpower pretty much completely dominating um, pretty much the entire weekend. He qualified on pole, which I think, I think was, that was his 49th career pole position in IndyCar. Yep. Yeah, and he qualified on pole by a half a second over his teammate Elio Castroneves. Four of the five Penske cars got into the fast six in qualifying, and the only one that didn't was Simon Paginot. Uh, last last year's winner, race. last year's last year's winner, two-time winner of this event and reigning champion of the series. No biggie, uh, as he do. But like as he said, Will Power com- pretty much completely in control from start to finish. Um, the only time really that anybody else was in the lead was Helio when uh, they were running alternate strategies. But uh, Helio just didn't have an answer for Will Power in the in the long term, and yeah, Power completely dominating the weekend. Yep, and but... believe it or not, first time this season that the pole sitter has won the race. Wow, that is a surprise. That, that, that is something. IndyCar continuing to be unpredictable as all hell. Um, but yeah, like right off the rest of the podium here for a second, King. Guess who's always there, creeping in the background. It lurking, putting together a solid championship campaign again. He's back. Scott Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the salt in the world has propelled him to second place in the championship. Scoot. Scoot Dixon will not go away. It's it's what Scoot Dixon does. He just takes whatever he can get. And yeah, just uh, a, a very, very... Uh, very shrewd performance from Dixon there, just doing enough to, to make the passes when they, when they came to him, and just a solid second place. Sadly, like as you can tell, we haven't talked a lot about actual highlights during the race stuff because sadly that there really wasn't all that much of them. No, um, it was a, it was a very clean race at the very least. The Indy Grand Prix has always been privy to some to some amounts of carnage. If you'll remember the very first year that it happened when they tried a standing start. And Sebastian Saavedra, <laughs> God, it's crazy to think Sebastian Saavedra stood on the pole of an Indy car race, then stalled it on the grid, and then a pileup happened behind him. Yay! So we got a clean race this time. There wasn't Caution a whole free. lot of stuff happening. Caution free, only a couple of retirements, and none of them brought out a caution. Um, well, it was it was certainly a predictable race. Um, for better or for worse. This was Will Power's lull. Yeah, yeah. This was Will Power's 30th win. He's now moved ahead of two Penske legends, the aforementioned Elio Castroneves and Rick Mears, who's won four Indy 500s. Yeah, that's a pretty ridiculous record for Will Power. Um, he took the complete maximum 54 points from the weekend as well because he led the most he led, he led a lap, he led the most number of laps and he qualified on pole position. Um, t- can't say any more than that. Complete dominance um, from Will Power, but a surprise man on third. RJ Ryan Hunter Ray is here. <laughs> Ryan Hunter Ray finally having some good results to his name after some runs of poor luck. If you'll remember Long Beach, his car broke down. If you'll remember Barber, he just really didn't get going anywhere. Um, but finally, Ryan Hunter Ray gets on the podium for the first time this season in third place. 
Um, Andretti Autosport, in particular, Hunter Ray and Alexander Rossi, who finished in the eighth, had a pretty, pretty good day on the whole. It was an even top ten with five Chevys, five Hondas inside that top ten. It's a good form. Some good form indeed from the Andrettis and a much-needed good weekend, given they've already had, like, two weekends this year where not a single one of their cars saw the checkered flag. Yeah. So they will gladly take Hunter Ray finishing <laughs> third, as yeah. well as, as, as Axe Rossi finishing in the top ten as well. So, uh, yeah, nice stuff from, uh, from Andretti to get two guys in the top ten like that. Yeah, two guys in the top ten. They also had Sato looking in. They also... Uh, the, the only person who they probably didn't want to talk about was Marco. <laughs> Marco, poor, poor Marco. You I... see what happens when he drops an apple and brings on beef jerky? Look what happens. <laughs> see what happens when you bring in a beef jerky that is endorsed specifically by your man, Stephen A. Smith? <laughs> oh. No. I might have to drop all affiliation with Marco Andretti at this point. Things of that nature. <sighs> he finished down in 16th place, for the record. Um... Talking about the championship standings as well, because um, a certain Simon Pagano King refuses to go away. Your man's is doing a solid job there. Another top five finish. I think he's finished in the top five every Grand Prix this season. Yep. And, and a, a solid fourth place again here. Yep, solid fourth place, doing what he needs to do to hold on to that title lead. Ten point gap to him and uh, fr from him to Scoot in second. Scoot. Yeah. Yeah, Dixon's the only other driver other than Paginot who's finished every race inside the top five, but the difference between the two is that Paginot has the win at Phoenix. Who would, have, who would have saw that coming at the start of the season? Yeah, Paginot got the oval win. Uh, <laughs> yes. Weird things, but uh, yeah, Paginot, a pretty quiet race from him, all things considered, but again, making the pass on his teammate Helio late on to finish in fourth. Good result from Paginot there, and again, Still putting together a really nice championship campaign going into Indianapolis. Um, speaking of it, title campaigns, the good luck may have finally ran out for poor Sebastian Bourdais. No. Oh, yeah. Dale, yeah, D Dale Coyne couldn't get the job done today. <laughs> In yes. fairness, I don't think anybody would have gotten the job done with a car that broke down uh, just a handful of laps into the race. <laughs> yeah. As he's just making the slow... The sad slow crawl through what is turn four on the oval yeah very it was it was a crawl like like i love the i think ball day gave him a bit of sass on the radio saying well clearly by the sound of the engine and, and the smoke coming out of it uh no it's not gonna work uh, was just, and um yeah if you haven't listened to him on the mayor of air go do it it's 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 fun ball day is a nerd um it's and i mean that in a good way but uh, yeah, Bordet, no luck from him today on this one. His second DNF in a row, both of them not really being his fault. He was collected in Phoenix, and now the engine's blown up, which has knocked Bordet out of the top three of the championship. Yeah, he's now, way down now seventh, seventh place in 55 points back of Paginode. He was leading this championship after two races. Let's not forget. Yeah, that, that, that swung around for Bordet in a bad way real quick. Um, but one other shot we've got to mention from a, from a guy who's down the field for Chip Ganassi, Max Chilton's best result of the year in seventh place, matching his career-high finish in Phoenix last year. Guys, Chilton was competitive. I mean, it, it, it's not surprising. Like, 
Uh, if you had to pick guys to be good this race who normally aren't good, it was probably going to be uh, Rossi and Chilton, the two guys who have experience with, you know, European road courses. And this is probably the closest thing on the, on the series calendar you could get to a European-style road course. You say that, and I picked Connor Daly in my fantasy team. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem, Andre. It sounds like a Brummer Ryan problem, because that fucker made me pick him in my team. Um, I, sh- I shouldn't have listened to him, okay? I should have stuck with my guns and picked Spencer Piggott, but no. No, like Dre said, no, Connor Daly was good here last year. He finished in fourth. We'll do it again this time round, bastard. Uh, I'm never listening to him again. Uh, but... Uh, but also, speaking of, we mentioned this earlier, there was five Penske's out there this time instead of four because Juan Pablo was back. <laughs> Yay! Juan Pablo Montoya was back. He got into the fat sits in qualifying and he finished in the top ten. Yay! Yeah, sol- solid result for someone who hasn't driven an IndyCar for almost a year. Yeah, made the fast six, qualified. What was it? I think sixth, I think it was. And, um, no, fifth, I should say. Uh, maybe qualified in fifth. But yeah, a nice return for Monty. He'll be back, of course, for the 500 as well. Looking forward to seeing how that one shakes out. Good to see Monty back in there. Now, I've danced around this one for long enough. RJ, what's up with your man's getting pick lane speeding penalties? Not just pit lane speed penalties. Pit lane speed penalties on top of pit lane <laughs> speed penalties. <laughs> The double decker. Uh, yes, the the rare, the dreaded double decker for Joseph Newgarden, who was running in position for a podium finish until he picked up one penalty and then another. Um, he got he got pinged for uh, speeding in the pit lane at exit on lap sixty four, and then had to come around and serve that drive through penalty. And while he was serving it, guess what happened? He got caught speeding at the end of pit lane again. Had to come in again. As, is, as, as punishment, I propose RJ has to burn his new garden shirt. I mean, it is a year old. It still has the Ed Carpenter 21. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> um, it kind I, of I, wasted I, a bad result for him because New Garden had the fastest lap of the race on lap 68, uh, which was just shortly after his series of pit lane spinal penalties. He got 11th place out of it, which is fine, I guess. But yeah, this could have been a lot better for the pride of Hendersonville, Tennessee. He's such a letdown, RJ. The man can't even draw a car properly, let let alone (laughs) can't follow pit lane speed lane limits. (laughs) What can I say? Yeah, I mean, uh, it wasn't only a disappointing weekend for for Joseph Newgarden. It was a bit disappointing for the boys over at Smith-Peterson Motorsport. Uh, Ugh. My man's. Yeah, Hinch finished a very anonymous 13th. Mikhail Lotion finishing a more anonymous 18th. Hinch just wasn't, like, he was getting passed, but like, oh, Spencer passed him, and then Hinch, the frustration, flipped him the bird. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Like, we've got our friends from the Grid Girls podcast who were seeing a whole lot of passing that the ESPN ABC camera crew did not pick up. Yeah, it really had an effect on the race enjoyment from a TV standpoint because apparently there was a whole heap of great passes into Turn 7 we never got to see because the ESPN pit crew were playing city buggers and they didn't pick up any of the coverage. Actually, they may have just fired at least four of those cameras. (laughs) I can't argue with that. And for some reason, they fired Edwarder again. God damn it. 
Um, but, At uh, least we did get to see James Hinchcliffe give these give a wonderful salute uh, to Spencer Pickett, who came home at night. Salute, you say? Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. the I'm going for first, says John Clara. <laughs> John Clevin salute. Man, I am not drunk enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he, no, he was he was telling Spencer Pickett that he qualified on pole position last year for the Indy 500. He yes. was pointing out the fact he finished in first with his middle finger. It was great. Um, if, if anyone still gets mad at middle fingers in motorsport, screw you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not here for this. So let's have a quick rundown of the rest of the field and the race itself. Will Power taking a pretty dominant victory there, led 61 of the 85 laps in question to take a pretty resounding victory over Scott Dixon in second. Ryan Hunter Ray in a very lonely third, grand off the podium for Andretti. Simon Pagano, championship leader in fourth, ahead of Helio Castroneves, who still has king. Great hair. Great hair. hair. In in fifth place, and uh, shout out to Graham Rahal who started in twentieth place but worked his way up into sixth. Phenomenal job from Graham Rahal, given he was moaning and, and and nagging and beating himself up all weekend long. Plus fourteen on where he started in the end. Brilliant job from Graham Rahal. That actually hurt me to say. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> but uh, great job from Graham Rahal in sixth place, ahead of Max Chilton in seventh. Alexander Rossi in 8th, trying to defend the place, as Sarah Connors would say. Um, in 8th there, Spencer Piggott, another great drive from Spencer in ninth for Ed Carpenter Racing, or technically now Slash Juncos Racing, because he'll be taking part with them for the 500 next weekend. Ahead of Juan Pablo Montoya, rounding up the top 10. Ahead of Joseph Newgarden, with grid penalties upon grid penalties. In 11th, ahead of RJ. Not now, Sato. In 12th, ahead of James Hinchcliffe in 13th, G.I. Hildebrand in 14th, Carlos Munoz in 15th, Marco Andretti, no Snapple here needed, in 16th place, ahead of Conor Daly, who King insists that was, King insists that was a good result for Conor Daly finishing in 17th place. Well, I never <laughs> said it was King. like, I, I never even mentioned Conor Daly. You mentioned this before he went on the air, King. <laughs> Oh yeah, like I mean, that's so, that, that's still a good result from his days back in Lazarus in GP two. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. Good points. Good points. He finished in seventeenth ahead of Michaela Lotion in eighteenth. Ed Jones, not such a good rookie showing from him this time around in nineteenth place ahead of Tony Kanaan, who was uh, sadly uh, tagged by his own teammate Marco Andretti well, not his own teammate but tagged by good friend Marco Andretti in, in, on the opening lap and never really recovered finished in 20th place ahead of wait a minute slightly above average Kimball in 21st place <laughs> King I think we have to downgrade we have to downgrade the nickname now slightly below average Charlie Kimball slightly below average Charlie Kimball perfect 21st, and Sebastian Borde, as mentioned, technical retirement, finishing at the back of the field in 22nd place. Quick look at the championship as well. Simon Pagano, as mentioned, championship leader still, now by just 10 points on 191. Scott Dixon reining him in slowly on 181 in second. Joseph Newgarden in third of 152 points, despite the uh, penalties upon penalties. Uh, Helio Castroneves up into fourth place now on 149. Being stealthy. <laughs> That's what it must be the hair. Like Helio just slides his way into that top five every time. He just, he's just, he's just still so good, and he's, and he's actually got poles as well now, King. Like he's, he's got some speed in the car too. <laughs> 
But Tadio sneaking his way up there in fourth place ahead of Will Power, who's now in fifth place after that dominant victory on 145. He's ahead of James Hinchcliffe in sixth on 137. Get your shit together, SPM. Um, Sebastian Borde's fallen to seventh on 136 ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray on 117. And Alessandro Rossi not going away even. Ninth place on 99 points. And not now. Sato rounds off the top 10 and will join top 10 with Tony Kennard, both with 97 points each. IndyCar taken care of. Apparently, there was some racing in Monaco as well this weekend, game. Apparently, it happened. It, it was a thing. <laughs> Monaco, baby! Yay! It's Monaco! <laughs> We're back at Monaco for the Monaco E-Pre because we missed it last year, but now it's back! And it was a close race. Uh, it just wasn't a very eventful close race. Yeah, I mean, for the first time this season in Formula E, the pole sitter actually won, which is funny given we've had five different pole sitters this year. Bramy actually taking pole position for once, given that he has a habit of bottling these things in qualifying. But yeah, Bramy pretty much led from the front all race long and wasn't really under pressure until the final lap as Lucas Degrassi reeled him in and also reeled an interesting little tidbit. Did you guys know this? But uh, when it comes to fan boost now... Like, you can't use the battery for fan boost if the car has less than 50% power. Oh, damn. I did not know that. I think yeah. that's a good fail-safe from drivers uh, just burning through their battery like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah, appar apparently it's for voltage reasons um, that uh, they, they can't use fan boost if their battery is below half charge. So that's... That's interesting to say the least. I did not know that. That's a little tidbit. But Lucas Degrassi pretty much followed him home, bumper to bumper in second place. And the only bottles that Wemmy was doing was popping bottles at the top step, baby. Yeah, that and in the post race party afterwards. If you ever followed Nikki Shields on Instagram, <laughs> um, she was periscoping a lot of the weekend. She was periscoping like the post race party with a drunk Antonio Felix da Costa talking about how he's going to win the championship this year. It was great. Uh, <laughs> highly recommend you check it out if you haven't already. Nicky Shields is the best person to follow on Formula E, like, by a mile. But um, those two finished 15 seconds ahead of a man we're not, that doesn't normally get on the podium, but when we does, we cheer for him. RJ, who was it? <laughs> it was Quick Nick Heidfeld, Woo! who just celebrated his 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Nick Heinfeld. You make us all feel old as fuck. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't look a day over 30. He, d he really doesn't. Like, he hasn't aged in 10 years. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, Nick Heinfeld finishing a very solid third place for Venturi in that was essentially their home Grand Prix. Mahindra. Oh, Mahindra. I, I thought he changed team shit. Like, uh, that's, a, that's bad of me. Like, Katie's going to come attack me after that one now, even though she's a Formula <laughs> E fan. Um, oh, dear. My bad, my bad. A, no, a nice podium for Mahindra there in third. Um, 
Laura, if you're listening, cover your ears. Nelson Piquet didn't have a particularly good weekend. Sort of, kind of. He got some points out of it. He finished fourth, but it was it was a ragged road to fourth place. Uh, considering he, he, he did a tank slapper coming through uh, coming through the last corner there early on in the race, and then uh, ooh, him and John Eric Verne got together for fourth place. PK drove pr- away from that. He he, uh, he 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 pretty much drove John Eric Verne into the wall. Like he he, he went full F one twenty sixteen online race and squeezed the man out into a wall. Somehow goodness. wasn't penalized. <laughs> Somehow, and he was very lucky to get fourth because he was leading a train hone of cars of Maru Ingle getting his first Formula E top five for Venturi, just nice. finishing a half second behind. And Felix Rosenquist was even closer still in sits in the other Mahindra car. That's not his best Formula E result, but that's still a good top 10 to get him this season back on track. Felix Rosenquist yeah. can drive anything. He won a Porsche Carrera Cup race that he just turned up in in Sweden just because he could. <laughs> Driver for hire, Felix. Felix is at it again. Great to see. Like like them and Leon Camier should just like tag team and take over the world. Just just drive whatever you like, whether it be four wheels or two. Uh, highly effective behavior. But yeah, Nelson BK finishing fourth despite being in the wars. Shout out to Esteban Gutierrez as well. Um, Esteban uh, finishing in eighth place. Um, so yeah, he's, he's clearly moved on from his days of finishing 11th all the time. Um, so yeah, good for him. You know, again, kind of a shame because this wasn't a particularly exciting race. Unfortunately, Monaco is just... Just like in the Formula 1 version, it's just not conducive to overtaking, really. It's kind of a bummer in that sense. There wasn't an awful lot of action here. But uh, they got away with it, just about. And, uh, yeah, you know, you got to take, take what you can get, AK. Yeah, you got to take what you get. And, well, we won't be seeing Monaco again for another two years. So, they got time. Yeah, because oh. the, the historic race is going to be next year, and then it rotates back to Formula E. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, it's also a back to back. Haven't we got Paris this weekend as well now? Yeah, we've got Paris. Yep. Uh, I believe it's this week. Yes, Paris is this upcoming weekend because Katie Fairman is also going to be uh, there that weekend as well. You, you tell him, King. Nice to see you've been paying attention there. Oh my uh, god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad human being. I'm a, I'm a very bad man sometimes. I'm, I'm really sorry, King. <laughs> I had to throw him under the bus again there. Like, you have a good IndyCar fantasy team, I'm going to throw him under the bus. That's how this works. <laughs> okay, okay. It's, 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 it's fair game. Like, if you get to go to the 500 next year as a VIP, I get to roast you. <laughs> that's, how this, that's how this is. <laughs> I call that fair game. <laughs> oh dear. But let's run down to the formula result real quick. Sebastian Bremi taking them in by just three tenths of a second from Lucas Degrassi in the day before. Hey, I'm going to shit him right up, right at the, fin- right at the finish. Just just to rattle him a little bit there. He finished 13 seconds ahead of Nick, um, Nick Heinfeld in third. Nelson Piquet uh, Jr. in fourth. Ahead of Mara Engel in fifth. Aventuri. You mentioned Felix Rokefist in sixth. Daniel Apt in 7th, Apt just doing Apt things, just sticking around in that little midfield spot there in 7th. We mentioned Esteban Gutierrez in 8th, Nicolas Prost in ninth, and Mitch Evans rounding off the points again in 10th place, just ahead of Antonio Felix da Costa. Robin Frins in 12th, Oliver Turvey a lap down in 13th, Adam Carroll in 14th, and Stefan Zaras and the last of the runners 
in 15th. Five DNFs, unfortunately. Uh, Chiquito Lopez didn't finish there for DS Virgin Racing. Jerome D'Ambrosio and Luke Dvar, both Faraday Future Dragon Racing cars, failed to see the checkered flag. Sorry, Liz. Uh, Sam Bird. Yeah, and yeah, and just to go back to Robin Friends in 12th, he was driving filled with painkillers because he hurt his knee. Like, his ligament just gave out in a training incident, and that's why he had to miss a block pan race at Brands Hatch. That sounds really painful. Like, I wouldn't want to drive a racing car with a blown-out knee. That sounds awful. Oh, but imagine having to drive a race car and then having to do a quick change between cars with a blown-out Oh, my out God! Knee. <laughs> oh, shit. No. Like, that... Oh, that, that sounds terrible. Oh, Robin. Unlucky, man. Uh, Sam Bird there did, um, striking the wall, unfortunately. But he did set the fastest lap of the race. So, hey, point to Sam Bird. Um, so despite that, and John Eric Verne, as we mentioned, uh, squeezed out into said wall. Poor guy. Um, one more thing before I run down the season results as well. If you haven't seen the video on Formula E's Twitter account, I've seen the differences between season one and season three of Monaco and how much faster these cars have gotten. Definitely worth a quick watch. Very intriguing stuff. Quick look at the Formula E Championship as we go into Paris this weekend. We're now, got five, five down, seven to go. Sebastian Bremi has won four of the five rounds so far this season and has only got a 15-point lead because Lucas Degrassi refuses to go away. <laughs> Lucas is 15 points back in second. And Nicolas Prost in third with 48 points. He's, he's only a mere 56 behind his teammate. Oh, dear. John Eric Verne in fourth despite two DNFs with 40 points. Sam Bird in fifth with 34 Nick Heinfeld up to 6th place with 32, ahead of Felix Rukovist in 28 points. Nelson Piquet in with 27, Daniel Apple with 26, who's finished in 7th place now, 3 races in a row. How about that? And Oliver Turvey ran off the top 10 with 15 points in 10th. Bit spread out so far to say in this championship. But uh, yeah, sadly, not the most exciting Formula E race either, but hopefully Paris will deliver something a bit more in that regard. We'll talk about obviously that on next week's show. So, without further ado, let's get into the news and the mailbag after this quick musical break. small mailbag this time around as we wrap up the show. RJ, we have the final list of 33 cars for the Indy 500. 33 cars, 7 former winners, 4 rookies. A whole Yay. lot of stuff's gonna happen at this year's 101st Indianapolis 500. The most on-brand of Indianapolis 500s to happen. Yes, um, it it's is a beautiful a good, thing. Yes, it is a good entry list. We got the final handful of entries spencer piggott and sebastian sebedra for yunkos racing we know about buddy lazier the 33rd entry the 1996 winner coming back with his lazier racing partners team uh in a chevy powered car so that's 15 chevrolets in the field and 18 hondas yay which is a it's a pretty decent split i know people are going to be upset about there's only 33 cars. We don't have the spectacle of bump day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've, yeah, we haven't had that in a while. Part, part of me just wants to see there be 34 cars to see, like, Buddy actually having the qualified merit. 
that did happen a couple of years yes. ago, and he fell just short. <laughs> yes, he fell just short and failed to qualify. Oh, uh, sacrifice. Like, this is a, one of the reasons I don't recognize Buddy Lazier as a former <laughs> Indy 500 champion. To me, the 96-500 is not canon. Hashtag 96-500, not canon. Are you, are you <laughs> saying that Buddy Lazier's win is is cheapened somehow. I mean, he had to go through the likes of great all-American open-wheel short-track legends like Michele Alboreto, <laughs> who, is, who, is, who is, of course, not American, uh, had never driven an oval before he signed on for the 96 Indy Racing League and uh, was largely anonymous in that season. <sighs> Are you, are you too finished? Uh, uh, do I do I want to not go on a rant today? Yeah, I don't want to go on a rant today. Why, why don't you want to go on a rant today, King? Because <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to spend, like, a good five minutes talking about how terrible the field for the 96-500 was. <laughs> like, so we'll terrible that they lowered the minimum age to participate from 21 to 18 as it stands today. So we save it for, for keeping it in 101 next week, given that we've got a special guest for that week's episode. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, That's... this is news to me. I didn't even know we had a special guest this week. It's like, I'll pack that away for next week, then. Pack that away for next week, because I can exclusively reveal here, live, through the power of text messaging, that Narjay knows this already, but I'm not gonna, I haven't told King this yet, but uh, a special guest on next week's podcast is member of the Grid Girls... Zoe Hamilton will be on the show next week. Yay! Yay! Here for it. Here for it. She's an encyclopedia of IndyCar and historic racing. Like, King, you found a best friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be great. And that'll be our great big Indy 500 preview episode. We'll be talking about that next week. And we'll have four people in the booth next week. Great. But in case you are still unaware of the entire entry list for this year's 500, I'm going to run down all 33 names because I'm good to you. Guys How about let's just let's just run down the names who aren't series regulars? Okay, since, since you insist. Um, so in the 16 car, we have Oriel Servia representing RLL. The second car, like, in other words, the guy that's rolling over for Graham Rahal, basically, at, at this point. So he's in the 16 car. Keep an eye out for him. We have Sebastian Saavedra in the 17 car, the birthday number, go Seb. Um, of course, for Junkos Racing, alongside Spencer Piggott, who, again, is obviously a regular normally, but he's representing Junkos for the 500 as a one-off. Um, if we move down the list, we have Ed Carpenter, of course, in the Fuzzies Vodka, not really Oval a regular. Oval Master Ed Carpenter. Oval Master Ed Carpenter, of course. Again, not really a regular, but you know what I mean. Um, in the 22, of course, Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, in his second race in the month of May for Team Penske, of course. So Penske running five cars again. Sage Karam is back in the 24th car for, for Drainer and Reinbold Racing. Um, he's in the 24 car. Keep an eye out for him. Uh, we've done, of course, the number 29 and Indy 500 rookie, Fernando Alonso. You may have heard of him for the McLaren Honda Andretti entry, number 29. Hashtag McHandretti. McHandretti, of course. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, Zach Veach is here uh, as, as is his, 500, his first 500 appearance there number, four, number 40 keep an eye out for him for the Indy Women in Tech team for AJ Foyt number 40 
Um, King's favourite, Buddy Lazier, is back in the 49 car. <laughs> Hashtag not my 500 champions. <laughs> <laughs> not my 500 champions. Buddy Lazier is back in the 49 car for Lazier Racing Partners. Keep an eye out for him, especially King, who will probably be flipping him all the double birds. Um, in the number 50 car, Jack Harvey from Basingham, England, will be here for the for Michael Shank Racing with Andretti. Great to see a fifth Englishman in the field for this entry. Of course, number 63, Pippa Man is back. Yay for Yay. Pippa representing Dale Coyne and, of course, Susan G. Conan's and, and Breast Cancer Awareness. Check out the charity auction. And, of course, if, if you like some pink stuff and some cool Indie 100 merchandise, check it out on eBay and all not as well. Let's raise some money for charity and all that good stuff. Jay Howard is here from representing Basildon, England, in the number 77, Carl for Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport. Keep an eye out for him. And finally, the last guy we don't normally see in IndyCar, Gabby Chavez is back for the Harding Racing guys as well. The Colombian Youngin is back in the number 88 car. So those are all of the extras. Yeah, obviously that makes up the 33-car field for this year's 101st running of the Indy 500 on May 29th. Looking forward to that. Let's get into the mailbag. Wait, before um, we get in the mailbag, just got a oh. quick, just quick news here, just running down because obviously Formula One being back in Europe, that means the support series are back. Support series are back. So, Yay. quick rundown: Formula Two featured race was won by Charles Leclerc, and the sprint Yay. race on Sunday morning was not won by a Prima; it was won by an, the ART of Nobuharu Matsushita. So, Prince Nobu! Yep, Prince <laughs> Nobu gets a victory. Uh, championship standings, as is. Charles Leclerc still on top with 73 points. Second place, Oliver Rowland with forty with 47 Woo! points. And uh, Luca Giotto in third place with 38 points. And also, to round out the, the undercard for Formula 1, was uh, the season opener for GP3. Where GP3 also had a GP3 had also had a rookie winner in both of their races in race one and race two. Uh, race one was won by the Japanese rookie uh, near Nirei Fukuz- Fukuzumi. Yeah. And he's actually a sophomore because he drove for ART last year. Oh yeah, he did. He was there. Yeah, he was there he last was, year. He was the forgotten fourth man <laughs> in the super team of Charles Leclerc and Alexander Albon and Nick DeVries. Yes, <gasps> yes. And then also in race two was run by India's Arjun uh, Mani. <laughs> Arjun Mani, who that weekend signed a development deal with the Haas F1 team. Yes, yes, he is a Haas junior driver, so GP3 has two Haas junior drivers. Okay, you got to get him where you fit in, right? you got to get him where you fit in. So yes. So quick rundown. Yes, so Fukushima, he, he leads the championship on 29 points. Second place is the Italian, uh, Alessio Lorandi. Yeah, Alessio Lorandi with 25 points, and uh, uh, Mani uh, is in third with 23 points. Sweet. Mani is actually Karun Shandok's protege. Yeah. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. I do remember seeing that on, on, on the Twitters. Right, let's just quickly go over the mailbag before we wrap this show up. Only a few questions this time around, but some good ones in there. Len Morrison asks, name something that you think would improve the Formula E spectacle. Brackets. Robo race doesn't count. <laughs> uh, bring back the EJ. Oh, God. Bring back the EJ and just make him even more obnoxious. G- that would get be out. my... 
<laughs> Ooh, uh, I'd probably just say just wait for the cars to get faster. Like seeing seeing faster cars on these tight circuits, the race is gonna get exciting real quick. My serious yeah. answer would be to find consistency in the schedule, but agreed. I don't know. Yeah, we we already have like they're in the what we already have part time members of the calendar. We already have Monaco as a part timer. Yeah, we're getting there slowly and painfully. I can't argue with either of that. I'd also, I'd, I'd also definitely. Um, what's what's the best way to be putting this? I'd like to see a bit more, you know, a bit more to help out some of the smaller teams because Edams look like they're still going to run away with this, and Audi's like clinging onto their coattails. I'd like to see more done to support the smaller teams and just see more technology opened up. And I think it looks like they're slow burning it. I think when they get to the point where they can run an entire race on one car, they'll be a lot better off. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But I would definitely like to see how that goes on. Uh, right. Question for Marcus. Marcus asks... Where will Ferrari fit in runaway Formula 2 leader Charles Leclerc into F1? They've got to fit him in somewhere because if he if he wins the championship, of course, he can't come back to Formula 2, but he'll also be the first rookie champion uh, since Nico Hulkenberg in 09, and the other two are guys named Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton who may have won some other stuff as well. Yeah, uh, Charles Leclerc is really, really great. He also has the factor of being Jules Bianchi's last protege. He's also got the factor of being really really good and getting better as it gets into faster and faster cars yeah like again 2016 rookie gp gp3 champion this year he's on track to be a rookie formula 2 champion if he doesn't get an f1 seat it looks makes the sport look terrible yeah all i've got to say is that yeah all i've got to say is that roman grosjean and kevin magnuson are kind of racing for their jobs because haas would seem like the best fit Agreed. Yeah, he's already tested for Haas. He has, hasn't he? Yeah, he tested last year for Haas on four separate occasions. Yep, yep, absolutely right. He's already tested for him. You know, they said he wasn't, yeah, he was too young for a race seat just yet, but um, obviously there's more of that incoming, most likely. Um, so again, I, I think Haas is the best bet. Maybe Sauber if they if they finally got it, got it up to here with Marcus Ericsson. If they've run out of patience with him, then who knows? Um, but it looks like Sauber wants to move away from Ferrari more than anything else. So that might be off the table now. But Haas definitely seems like the best fit from where I'm sitting. Um, Henry Chapman asks, "What's the most satisfying moment you've had whilst watching motorsport?" Mm, most satisfying moment. Just say Abu Dhabi 2016. <laughs> let, let's not waste time here. Yes, it, it was most likely Abu Dhabi 2016 where Nico Rosberg clinches the title without winning. I finished the second, but clinches the title. Thank God. RJ? Um, could I throw in uh, Juan Pablo Montoya winning his second Indianapolis 500 and me filming my reaction to it as I ran out of the house in my Juan Pablo Montoya shirt just howling like an idiot? Oh, that's a real original <laughs> celebration, Gaja. You've done that. You've done that. Like you've never done that more than once, have you? Hey, everyone needs a signature celebration. It's just well. To be fair, I'm kind of the king of that now, really, aren't I? Um, yeah, like uh, creative um, Robert Rude style videos of seeing victorious moments happen has kind of become my thing. Um, for me, let me think. 
Um, there's a couple that really stick out. Brazil 2012 sticks out to me a lot, given that me and Brother Ryan, who were both watching that race, both went nuts because Brother Ryan's a huge Felipe Massa fan, and he finished second that day, and he was absolutely beside himself. He was delighted at that second place. Um, and of course, Sebastian winning his third title and seeing like Michael Schumacher passing the torch essentially was a beautiful moment. And you know, now given Michael's condition, it's one I'll never forget. Um, it means a lot. It means a hell of a lot, even more to me now, given Michael's current state and what it meant at the time. Um, between that and maybe Monza 08, uh, I'm not sure which one I'd rank bigger on that one um, that's two for me that stick out to me for obvious reasons like Monza 08 was truly like one of those transcendent moments in the sport where we just like oh god a new star is born it was just all sorts of crazy and lived up to the hype too so that kind of says a lot um, uh, Benigmatica on Twitter asks and this and I'll, give you, I'll give you a hint as to where this question is going if Super GT didn't take the DTM rule set, what kind of atmosphere slash direction does the series t- t- take? Should JFA slash JF sorry and slash GTA adopt the GTE rule set? I wonder who this question's for. Oh <laughs> my goodness! Um, <laughs> I, they won't adopt the GT rule set for GT500 because uh, GTE is slower than the GT300 class, which is the second tier class in Super GT. Yeah, GT500 right now is. As I put it on the uh, the season preview for Daily Sports Car about a month ago, there are only two active uh, endurance sports cars that are quicker than the GT500 field. They are the Porsche 911 Hybrid and the Toyota TSO50. That is it. They are faster than LP2. They are much faster than GTE3. The second class is faster than GT Pro and AM. So no, they would not adopt the GT rule set. I think if they just decided to scrap the DTM rule set, class one, whatever they're trying to do, because... DTM is really, really dragging their feet in complying with Class 1 regulations. Um, that's not really been a surprise to anybody who's followed the story for the past yeah. few years. Um, yeah. I think I think they would still stick with the same 2-liter turbo engines, which they also use in Super Formula. I think they might just opt to uh, free up the monocoque and the chassis rules because... Class 1 doesn't allow really allow for mid-engine cars. The fact that Honda have made a mid-engined NSX GT work is something of a miracle, and even still, people are not convinced that it can actually be competitive. Um, there's also problems with the, cha- with the Class 1 chassis being not rigid enough to handle the rigors of a Super GT race, uh, which is why last year some teams actually got penalized for having to change out monocoques uh, because they had warped too fast. Um it's kind of telling that GT300 cars have a more rigid chassis than the GT500s. There you go. Um, and last question from the mailbag from Colin Bridget asks, has the swap to Liberty Media engaged the fans more? Uh, I'd say yes, but it's still like far too soon to tell. Agreed. I I think the YouTube account and social media has definitely improved a lot this year, the, especially the YouTube channel. I think they're doing a very good job with that now, getting race highlights up really quickly. Um, Grill the Grid is back for another season, and it's now teamwork, and it's better than last year. That's been really nice, and 
again, F1's doing a solid job on, on, on social media now. I mean, it's miles better than, than two years ago, and, you know, it's better than the improvements they're making. They, they, they're definitely, pardon me, they're definitely getting there on that one, at least from where I'm sitting. I don't know, what you, I don't know how you feel, RJ. Um, yeah, it's definitely better than it was, and it's, and certainly you saw with, with the kid, little Thomas, um, just, they're doing a lot better. They're doing yes. much better, and Formula One's going to be all the better for it. Indeed. And I think, unless King interrupts me again, <laughs> no. no, I think that is the end of our show this week. So uh, thank you very much all for listening. Places you can find us one more time, we are on motorsport101.net, where you can find us and Bike Live. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. I'll be back making videos for that channel real soon. Stay tuned. Um, for that one, I've got an entire week off work next week, which is pretty lit. Um, that definitely helps. Um, Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at at motorsport underscore 101. And for us personally on Twitter, we are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And of course, if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Check us out, including early access perks for this show and for Bike Live itself. We'll catch you back next week with us and Zoe Hamilton for our great big Indy 500 preview and a Paris E-Pre review as well. But until next time, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell and Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. You are the world champion! Man, I wish I got as much attention for just doing just, like, random stuff like Fernando Alonso does. That's pretty much what everybody aspires to do on Twitter and on social media in general. He's got a point, Myself included. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Mr. I ran out of the house in my Joseph Newgarden top every time he does something decent. Hold on. I, I'm, sa- I'm saving that for, for when he wins the Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm, calling, I'm calling my shot right here in the, in the, in the epilogue of Motorsport 101. <laughs>